Northern Seminary and the Center for Theological Integrity. This is the pastor's table. Today's church leaders are weary and burnt out from trying to lead in the machine of corporate leadership systems. The pastor's table brings you conversations with local pastors working out deep theological convictions in their churches. Here are your hosts, Reverend Tara Beth Leach and Dr. Mark Quanstrom. Welcome to the pastor's table. I'm Tara Beth Leach. Today, we pick up the conversation with Brian Zond about the way in which they do church flowing from their understanding of soteriology. Brian Zond is the founding pastor of Word of Life Church, where he's been the pastor for 41 years. You know, I hope you enjoy the next part of our conversation with Brian. I sure did. So I'm thinking that uh, how you're doing church now is different than you were doing 35 years ago. I mean, you're, you have oh, yeah. a different oh, theological vision and you have a different understanding of salvation, right? right. And yeah. so um, there's a couple of questions uh, that I, I, I'm curious about. I mean, how do, you, how do you lead a church through that kind of change would be one question. I mean, your profound change, um, and you did have an advantage having been their pastor for 20 years prior to it. But uh, how how do you how do you form a people um, in your church that reflects your theological vision? Is really the question. I think I think I think you moved from a kind of a transactional soteriology to a right. relational formational one. Is what Beth Felker Jones described it as. So the two questions are, how do you lead a church through that? And the second would be, so how are you doing church now different than you did 35 years ago? I don't know that I did it perfectly, but even in retrospect, I don't know how I could have done it really any better. Some of the things I did was I was able to successfully bring our leadership team along. None of them left. I mean, some of them left over the years, just right. you know, in, in a natural way, but no one like, abandoned the vision or hated what I was doing. And that's because I spent about 90 minutes every Tuesday morning uh, just sharing what I was reading and what I was thinking and what I was learning. And we did book studies together and, and that sort of thing. So I was able to bring the leadership team along by being very deliberate about it. Uh, that that's That's one thing that I did. I would also say I wasn't trying to change the church in a six-week sermon series. I mean, I just knew this was going to take a long time. It turned out I would say it took about 10 years. So there is, there is an element of patience involved. That's really important. Uh, that you're not going to try to do it. And, and, I never, and I never said, hey, everybody, we're going to change the church that we are. I never said that. We just did it. We just did it over time by beginning to incorporate. I mean, of course, my preaching is being transformed by the theological studies and reading that I'm doing. But we began to embrace what we call the great tradition. So we, we began to lean heavily into more historic forms of liturgy began to pay attention to the church calendar. I mean, all churches more or less pay attention to the church calendar, at least to the level of Christmas and Easter. 
But we began to really be formed, have our whole year formed by the liturgical calendar. Uh, we eventually uh, had weekly communion and these sorts of things. Um, you know, we worked that into the church and that began to make some changes. I, I developed a thing called prayer school. Well, I didn't develop prayer school. What happened was, is I, I just personally began to learn how to pray better. And I didn't intend to share it with anybody, but the leadership team said, you know, we see the change in you. We see your greater depth of peace and whatever else that we're observing. What do you attribute this to? I said, I think it's the way I'm praying. They said, will you teach us? I said, well, okay. And so I just did this with the leadership team, but then other members of the church heard about it. And so one thing led to another that um, prayer, it became what I call prayer school. I, I didn't, I didn't ever set out to do it. It was just the way I was praying, but I, I finally figured out it takes me about three 90 minute sessions to teach someone how to, what I do in prayer. And I just got done doing my 93rd prayer school now. I mean, think about that. 93 of those that, that are, that are, that are three 90 minute sessions. So if you just do the math, I mean, I've spent like weeks of my life doing this. And uh, that's kind of at the heart of our church. You know, most everybody that's in any way involved with Word of Life or any time will go through prayer school, which makes it, I don't, it's, it's just, it's, it's the it's an introduction of the incorporation of a morning liturgy of prayer into your life. And that's as much as anything is at the heart of our church. And um, OK, so you've said a couple of things. So, so that you, was a big deal. You that, said that, you said a couple of things. You said that you brought your leadership team along, which is pretty which is pretty important. But yeah. as important as that is. Uh, you said it took 10 years to move your church from where it was to where it is today. That's that's a long time. Yeah. 10 years. Now again again this is not I mean you're not you're not time. planning this. You're you're basically following your lord. He's the one leading. And sure. you know this isn't this isn't some micromanaged future or or, or I mean this isn't planned. This is you just kind of following, yes? Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> yes. And so as I look back over that period of time. Go ahead. No, no, go ahead. I, no, that's, that's, go, go for it. Well, there's one thing that I think I did wrong. It was, is about around the year 2006. I was preaching too close to what I was just learning. And, and I did that just purely from excitement. I was just so thrilled at what I was. So I was learning some things, gaining better theology, but preaching about it maybe too soon. I needed to assimilate it into my being. So I was reading, I was reading a ton of academic theology at that time. Well, I did for, for almost, almost all that 10 years. I just binged read. I mean, you guys are, you know, you teach in seminaries and all that. If I showed you, if I told you what I read, how much, I mean, how much Bart, how much, you know, like read the entire corpus of Hauerwas and Brueggemann and whoever else, you know. And 
it was thrilling. It was never work for me. I loved it. But then I was, I was, what I was preaching on Sunday morning was a little bit too close to what you would think of as a seminary level presentation. And I regret that. I did it out of, I did again, it was out of good faith. It was just out of enthusiasm. But then I realized what I was doing and I pulled back on that. I would say, okay, just let this stuff live in me for a little longer or a year or two more so that when I do begin to preach from that, it's already been assimilated into my own personality and character. And it doesn't sound like me giving a book report on Stanley Hirewas or Rene Girard or something like that. It's rather, it's just become part of who I am. And that was an important uh, correction that I made. And it, it helped that I did that. But that would, that would be the one mistake I think I made is, is in my enthusiasm. I think I preached a little bit too lofty for a, for a season. I regret that. I think that's a lesson that so many of us pastors have to learn. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I reflected a few weeks ago on this podcast how I was pre preaching out of my pain. Um, I had experienced yeah. a lot of loss in the congregation that I was pastoring to, and I found myself um, tempted to punish the people I was pastoring in the pulpit, um, and I was preaching out of woundedness, mm -hmm. uh, and I was frustrated. But I also, and I think, you know, so I think these are lessons that, that young preachers who are learning, who are growing, have to learn at some point in the journey. Yeah. Yeah, it's exactly right. I think I would I think I was able to avoid too much preaching from my pain. Because because I was really I didn't people didn't know I was in pain. And I don't think they could tell from the sermon. I don't think if you mean if you if you weren't Perry, you didn't know how much I was hurting. And uh I don't know if that's healthy, but it's just what I had to do. There and the, I would say I want I want to, I want to add this and then, because I do want to say, because people have asked, well, how did you make it through that time? And I said, there, there were three graces that came all around the same time. Well, sort of. One was that Perry was with me and, and I was with her. I mean, because I, I, I'm going to stress, I wasn't leading her through this. She was also making the same discoveries that, you know, we were kind of doing this together. So there was never any tension in our marriage over this. I mean, I've seen it happen where, where, one spouse in a ministry situation is making these new discoveries and, and going on. And the other one's like, what in the world are you doing? That didn't ever happen. So that was grace number one. Grace number two was the two friends came into my life at that time. Uh, I'm just going to, I'm going to name them. Bradley Jerzak. Some of you know Brad. He's a, now he was a pastor then. Now he's basically, he's a theologian, president of St. Stephen's University in Canada. And uh, Joseph Beach, who is pastor of Amazing Grace Church in Colorado. And these two friends were on the same journey I was on, and they came into my life. And, you know, you can bear a whole lot more than you think you can if you can do it in the company of your friends. And so I, I had, we had this friendship, and we were all supporting and sustaining and helping one another, and we're great friends to this day. The third grace was I learned how to pray better. I don't think I could have made it through that time if I hadn't had a really good, healthy, uh, life-giving prayer life. And I hadn't really had that. I mean, I tried to pray. I was always, you know, attempting, but I hadn't really learned. I hadn't found the good prayers. 
And I found the prayers and I learned how to pray better. And I learned about contemplative prayer and sitting with Jesus, as I call it. And that enabled me to also endure that time. So anyway, I, I wanted those. Perry was with me. I found two new friends and uh, I learned how to pray well during that time. That's how I made it through. So how are you doing church now, driven mm -hmm. by uh, the theological vision that you have now? What's, what are important practices that are helping form your people? Yeah, as I mentioned, the church calendar uh, drives a lot of what we do, and I think there's tremendous wisdom there. Um, I, I never know quite how to describe Word of Life Church. We are... We are a non-denominational church, which I don't even believe in. <laughs> don't, I'm not going to defend it. It's just what happened. It's, it just it happened. All right. And so what do we need? And so we are, we are ridiculously committed to ecumenism. We are, I am, we are so ecumenical. And we, we, I mean, I love the Eastern Orthodox and the Roman Catholic, Anglican Communion, Protestantism in its many, many iterations, Anabaptist, you know, I, I have, have a lot of that. And then, you know, I still have the evangelical charismatic, you know, roots. And so I love all of these traditions. I mean, I just, this last fall, I, I led a, I led a retreat for a monastery of Benedictine nuns. So that, that should give you an idea. You know that I'm really ecumenical, so so we stress that, uh, and and that that leaves us free to incorporate. Um, I mean, there's a lot of Book of Common Prayer from the Anglican world that's present in our church. I sometimes describe ourselves out of because I don't really know what we are. I say, well, we're kind of rock and roll Anglican. <laughs> I mean, our Sunday morning service is still. Uh, contemporary music, because I belong to the generation that fought the wars to bring electric guitars and drums into the church. So <laughs> I'm not getting rid of them. But we're, we're leaning more and more toward uh, aspects of, of the Book of Common Prayer being present in our church. Uh, we stress a lot of uh, spiritual practices involving prayer, contemplative prayer. Uh, we are still a, a fairly theologically driven church, so we do a lot of online stuff that that whether it's people locally or otherwise will, you know, attend. I just got done doing a what was it five week a five week. It was, it was intensely theological. It was, it was we called it based on my book, "Sinners in the Hands of, of a Loving God." Uh, we did a five-week, 90 minutes each Monday night for five-week session on that. It's intensely theological. And we had, like, what, it was over 1,800 registrations for that. It was purely done online, but we had over 1,800 registrations. And that's, you know, a lot of it was couples. So we had, you know, a lot of people participating. And, and so we lean into that, that sort of thing quite a bit. One of the things that we have been successful, and I'm not sure how we did it, so don't ask me. I don't have a program, but we have created, and this is 
I'm just going to say it. We've, we've created what I would call a culture of kindness. So word of life is not in any way, shape, or form a political monolith. We have people on Sunday morning at Word of Life who span pretty much the entire spectrum of the American political moment. But what we do, so, so you can be, you can be AOC left or you can be whatever's, you know, the equivalent, you can be a Trump, all right, at Word of Life, as long as you do so with kindness. And when I say we've created a culture of kindness, what I mean by that is it's not something we harp about. It's not something we deliberately talk. Culture is a thing that, that you do instinctively because you just belong to that culture. It's just the way it's done in that culture. So if someone shows up, a new person comes into Word of Life Church and they bring a political vitriol, political acrimony, they learn pretty quickly, oh, no, 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 we don't do that here. That's not, you don't have to share any particular political position, but whatever position you hold, you have to be kind and you have to be nice about it. So, you know, everybody knows that the last six, seven, eight years has been pretty, I don't, you know, every pastor I met has really felt like they've really felt that, unless their church happens to be a political monolith, which some are, but if they have any kind of diversity politically in their church, they've felt that tension. And we really haven't, because I think we'd already dealt with that, you know, 10, 15 years ago. Um, I, don't, I don't know what else to say that what we do. Um, but, but in all honesty, I, I feel like we're at a better place than we've ever been. And that, that, again, that's not me just trying to put a positive spin. That's just... I'm just telling you the truth. I, I'm so happy that we were able to arrive at where we've arrived today. Um, you know, I don't know. What, I mean, I, the, being being ecumenical has been good for us in that that without apology, I borrow things from Roman Catholicism. I borrow a lot of theology from Eastern Orthodoxy. And this is not something that is controversial in our church. They know that we do this. And we try to be respectful, you know, we're, but, but we do feel like we can avail ourselves of the best treasures within those various traditions. And so, so typically, if you look at our, the, on Sunday morning, our, the, the backdrop of our platform, it, it changes with the church season, but they'll usually be about five very large modern Orthodox icons. They're, they're orthodox icons in that they, they're icons and they have the theological, um, the, the theology of the icon is there, but it's not necessarily done in Byzantine style. It's done more modern. It's done by a young artist, uh, Ivanka Demchuk from Lviv, Ukraine. And so, you know, we've purchased her work. And uh, so that's present with us. And I don't know, I'm, I'm rambling now, so help me out here. Well, uh, we're, we're coming to the end of the podcast, and you have shared uh, a whole lot that I think will be really, really helpful, and uh, I'm grateful for your transparency, your honesty. Uh, I, think, I think that if, uh, uh, if, if anybody is looking for anything these days, it's that kind of authenticity, so thank you for that. But I do have one last question. Uh, would you consider sure. that Stairway to Heaven by Led Zeppelin is just the greatest rock and roll song of all time? 
Well, here's the problem with Stairway to Heaven. It's not their fault. They wrote such a great song that it became a cliche. And so, <laughs> so it's a song that sometimes is made fun of, you know, like, you know, all the guitar shops, you know, no stairway. And it's not their fault that they wrote just one awesome song. So it's just the greatest rock and roll song of all time in my view. So I think, I think you're right. I think you're right. I mean, <laughs> yeah, it is. It That's is. That, I don't know how many rock and roll songs you're going to make it to heaven, but that one's going to be there. You know what? And I'm going to, I'm going to confess to you that I can't tell you. I would, I don't know a, a single lyric to the song. Oh, if, I couldn't even tell you how the song bad. begins or what it sounds like. So there you go. There you have it. There's a bustle in your hedgerow. Don't be alarmed now. It's just a spring <laughs> clean for the make me. Okay. Here's what's true. Terabeth is 10 minutes late to an appointment. So we're going to have to call it a day here. Brian, thank you for being with us. Thank you. My privilege. Thank you so much for joining us today. Brian, it was a joy. Thank you for your transparency and honesty. And if anything, I hope for the pastors out there that are struggling and are feeling alone that they would know that there's others that have gone before them or alongside of them who are calling their people to live out the theological vision um, which God has given us with integrity. So, pastors, uh, keep doing the work. Follow your Lord. Uh, stay radically in love with Jesus and uh, leave the rest of the work to him. Thank you, Brian, for being with us today. And may God bless you in the gifts and the graces of this calling. Until next time.